Hello, my name is David, your host, and welcome to another episode of Ozpol Explained. We will today be doing a hypothetical situation. A really fun one. What if the Prime Minister decided to not hold an election? Democracy, as many of us will agree, is very important. Having easy access to vote in Australia is what separates us from less democratic countries like the United Arab Emirates, where most of the population can't vote or the United States of America, where it has been a decades-long Republican policy to have targeted voter suppression, specifically aimed at African-American communities, because they believe that they are more likely to vote for Democrats. If you check out the script in the description, you will get a lot of citations about how Republicans have been trying to do voter suppression for decades. It's bad. Voting is perhaps a right that many of us take for granted because we're so accustomed to the AEC bending over backwards to make sure that as many people as possible can vote. You literally still need to vote even if you're in Antarctica. You can't just enjoy the blissful solitude of the most hostile and harsh environment on the planet and just kick back look at some penguins and not think about who would be a good prime minister. The AEC wants your opinion. The AEC is your friend and it's here to listen to you no matter where you are or what you're doing. But what if the prime minister decided that they didn't want to hold an election? What if the party in power decided to just blindly follow some kind of egotistical, unpredictable, deeply controversial and tyrannical person who thinks democracy just isn't that important? That would never happen. But what if it did? Let's take this hypothetical question to the very extreme. Let's explore what's stopping this from happening. First off, it's just not the Prime Minister's decision whether or not we can have an election. And thank you so much for watching. Comment down below what you would like to learn about next, subscribe, etc, etc. And I am kidding, I'm kidding. Look at the length of this video. There is definitely more to say on this subject. Let's actually go into some proper details. There's this beautiful, gorgeous piece of paper known as the Constitution. It is the most beautiful piece of paper I've ever seen. I want to kiss it, but unfortunately they put it behind glass and they don't let me touch it. The Constitution outlines many things, including the frequency of elections. An election for the House of Representatives must be within three years of the previous one, though it can be held earlier. This is outlined in section 28. Some politicians have called elections early because their polls were high and it was good for them, and others have waited until the very last moment to give themselves more time to establish themselves in the public eye and cross their fingers and hope that people actually like them. Similarly, although the Senate has six-year terms, it has a half election every three years to rotate out members. Elections for the Senate don't need to align with the House, but usually do. Section 13 covers this. So, if a Prime Minister decided just to not call an election, those three years would expire and Parliament would just dissolve. And it would legally no longer be allowed to function. The Governor-General would just come in and be like, go home. Go away. The Governor-General basically just fires everyone and then legally has to call an election because it's actually the Governor-General's decision whether or not that happens. Most of the time the Prime Minister asks the Governor-General and the Governor-General says yes, but there have been historic times where the Governor-General has said no. So the Prime Minister and their cabinet could just like storm the building of Parliament and just like yell out whatever rules they want, but it 
wouldn't have any legal authority. In the same way that I have no legal authority to walk into the street and yell, it's Tuesday now, and that means everyone legally has to give me a coin. Doesn't have to be Australian, could be any coin. I just like coins, I collect them. Please give them to me. Means nothing. Nonsense. But what if the Governor General is a fascist? Yay. Look, now let's actually get into where this hypothetical gets bad. Just saying, what if the Prime Minister wanted to destroy democracy and then followed by, well, they can't, is not fun. And as we all know, there's nothing more fun than exploring how fascism can destroy democracy. Yay. The Governor General is the big boss of Australian politics. They're the one who gives royal assent to bills to make them into officially laws. They appoint the Prime Minister to the position. They call the times in which Parliament can assemble and they also call an election. They have a lot of power into making sure things run smoothly. But what if the Prime Minister, the party and the Governor General are united in this cause of, hey, democracy's bad, let's rule forever. Who is higher than the Governor General? The High Court. The High Court is the final body when it comes to interpretation of the Constitution. So if you are a state government and you decide for whatever reason, hey, I wanna make laws to do with lighthouses. If a state government then tries to pass it, someone can take it to the High Court and then the High Court judge will look at it and be like, uh, excuse me, but it clearly states in section 51 of the constitution that lighthouses are a federal responsibility, not a state one. So uh, none of that, stop it. Leave the lighthouses alone. Leave the lighthouses alone. Leave the lighthouses alone. So if the governor general decides that like, nah, I don't wanna call an election, I refuse. The high court will then go, I'm sorry, you can't do that. That's illegal. That's a crime. So stop. And that, kids, is how laws stop crime. Anyway, then the High Court could make a landmark ruling that any law made outside of those election limits is automatically invalid. So no matter what, even if for some reason the government somehow pretends to pass a law, they are powerless. But what if the High Court has been stacked with corrupt judges? If for completely coincidental and not at all suspicious circumstances leads to more than half of them dying or reaching age 70 and therefore have to legally retire, then the Governor General and Prime Minister can stack the court with blatantly corrupt High Court justices, which then can't be removed except by the Governor General in council following addresses by both Houses of Parliament. So if the government has a majority in the House of Representatives and a corrupt Governor General, then we could end up with a bunch of High Court justices who just refuse to actually do their job which is not ideal. That's okay. Well, I mean, it's not okay, it's bad, but it's okay because there's still a way that we can resolve this hypothetical. The states will come to the rescue. So I said earlier that the governor general calls the election, by which I mean for the House of Representatives. It is the state governors that issue writs for the Senate elections, which they tend to do whenever the governor general asks, but whatever. 
Which means if we somehow still have this deadlock where the government refuses to vacate parliament, then the Senate can have its own election, separate from the powers of the governor general. Suck it, you big dirty fascist. Suck it. Because passing laws requires a majority in both houses, a hostile Senate could simply just prevent the government from doing anything. The ruling government usually doesn't actually have control in the Senate, even in normal times. So if the opposition decides to block a bill in the Senate, a ruling government usually has to deal with the crossbench anyway to pass a law. So it's not unrealistic that the Senate could then just legally hold sessions where it refuses to debate or pass anything that the dictatorship and fraudulent House of Representatives sends its way. Even if there is a corrupt Governor General, Prime Minister and High Court, the Senate can still make this government completely powerless. This also means that no supply bills would pass, which means the government couldn't fund anything, which then means that anyone who is a government employee can't be paid, causing mass unemployment, homelessness and economic disaster, a bunch of projects and organizations just collapse, mm, hospitals and roads are suddenly super massively underfunded and maintenance doesn't get done, hospitals may need to shut down. Let me just check my notes real quick. Um, yes, that's bad. Why can't a government just change all the rules so it doesn't need to deal with the Senate? The constitution is oh, so beautiful, thank you. The big beautiful constitution that is preventing all of this happening legally cannot be changed by parliament. It requires a bill from parliament to pass to propose then a referendum which then requires a majority of people in a majority of states to vote yes. So the government can't change the frequency of elections without both the senate and a majority of Australia agreeing to let them have that power. It's also super important to note that statistically almost every single referendum in Australian history has failed, especially ones to do with expanding government powers. So a government is stuck with the constitutional limits that demand elections happen periodically. So we have this massive deadlock where the whole country is being devastated economically. How do we actually fix this? In comes the queen. Fun fact, you can just like email uh, your local MP and ask them for a free portrait of the queen because that is a thing that they are legally allowed to provide budget permitting if they so choose. Just ask nicely and be like, can I please have a, a portrait of the queen? We are still part of the Commonwealth and the queen is constitutionally speaking the most powerful person in Australian politics. She is the one who invests the power in the governor general. She is the one who appoints and approves of the position and she can hire or dismiss without consultation. However, she's chosen not to interfere with Australian politics and merely just gives her stamp of approval to whatever governor general the prime minister suggests for the position. This is just technically a formality and we otherwise act independently. A significant thing the Queen did was in 1986 where she personally came to Australia to give royal assent to the Australia Act. 
which removed any remaining possibility for the UK to legislate in effect to Australia, to remove the UK from being involved in the Australian Parliament and remove any last appeal from an Australian to a British court. This was basically just a way to just legally get rid of any lingering loopholes. That being said, the Queen still has the constitutional power to undo any law passed by Australia up to one year after it was given assent by the Governor General. Yeah, section 59. If somehow the government managed to pass a bunch of just absolutely terrible laws that destroyed democracy and then refused to call an election, the Queen can do a big control Z on the past year of bad government. She doesn't ever exercise this power like ever, but she may be inclined to fire the Governor General if it is apparent that this is the only way to restore democracy. But what if the Queen dies? Oh boy. Well, we have a moment of silence, we eat bangers and mash, and then we go and buy a corgi to remind ourselves of good old dear Lizzie. And then Prince Charles becomes king automatically. However, it is customary to wait several months before a coronation. Queen Elizabeth II had 16 months between the death of King George VI and her own coronation. Plus the, the British monarchy will be a little bit preoccupied and may not care that much about what's happening in Australia. I mean, that's just like hypothetically speaking, there's no real way to predict that. Like I'm, I'm not in Prince Charles's head. Rest in peace, Lizzie. Uh, and then I guess we just ask for a, a new portrait to replace this one. Don't worry, there's still hope. Dormant Commission. This could be the very solution we need to resolve all of this parliamentary deadlock. We could even do it without the Queen dying. Uh, we don't need the Queen at all. We don't. If the British monarchy is preoccupied or dead or just simply says, deal with it yourself, there is possibility to use Dormant Commission to fix all of this. Basically, any governor of a state can act as an administrator and take over the roles and duties of a governor general. This happens if the governor general is incapacitated, absent, or suddenly dead. This has happened multiple times. For example, Governor General Viscount Don Russell, very English sounding name, suddenly died and Sir Reginald Dallas Brooks, governor of Victoria, took over in 1961 for seven months. He was then replaced by Viscount Delisle. The longest serving state governor takes over the role and is effectively the governor general, though usually is then replaced by an officially newly picked governor general and then goes back to being a state governor. Usually, like, the first time this ever happened, the governor then became the governor general. It's not important. But this means that a long serving state governor can come in, take over from the corrupt governor general, then dismiss the prime minister, hold an election, reset the House of Representatives, and then dismiss the corrupt high court justices. And then we have fixed democracy. Yay, I love backup plans. But what if the fascists have guns? Uh-oh! At this point, the fascist government of Australia would have thrown out the constitution, written the new one, and when someone says, ah, oh, actually you can't do that, the government goes, ah, oh, but you see, 
I have a gun. And then the citizen goes, ah, yes, I see your point. I was mistaken, you're right. This entire hypothetical situation has entirely been predicated on the idea that there's no actual violence involved. In reality, the rise of fascist governments is accompanied by a military police and or paramilitary force to violently intimidate or attack political dissenters. We've seen this with white supremacist groups like the brown shirts in Nazi Germany and the black shirts in Mussolini's Italy. These forces murdered and jailed ethnic minorities, unionists, socialists, and basically anyone who spoke out against this brutality. The sad reality is that fascism isn't just about stopping elections. It's about changing a social climate by eroding checks and balances. And using inflammatory nationalist rhetoric and some kind of spooky scapegoat for public anger to focus on. Dehumanizing language is used against minorities and racist attitudes are heightened in the general public. Foreigners and multiculturalism are considered dangerous. There's a fixation on a national decline, whether that be real or imagined, and therefore a call for a nostalgic glory of days that need to be reclaimed, like a non-existent utopian past or the height of an empire. This leads to a very strong and insular jingoistic and nationalist identity. There's an exaggeration or creation of threats to the community that can only be fixed with greater government power and eventually violence. Authoritarianism starts as a slow creep until it's too late. The governor general is the commander in chief of the armed forces. So unless the military rebels and holds a coup, then the fascist government might be enforced through that military might. The Senate election could be rigged and voters intimidated. And even if political parties aren't banned, their members can be framed and jailed. Under section 44 of the constitution, you can't be in parliament if you've been convicted of a jail sentence of a year or longer. That's a pretty good way to get rid of democratically elected opponents. Although section 41 of the constitution guarantees that anyone who has gained the right to vote in a state cannot be prevented from voting federally, it doesn't guarantee that everyone is automatically granted that right. Voting rights for white women has varied state by state from 1895 in South Australia to 1908 in Victoria when they were finally given the right to vote. And the rights for indigenous Australians to vote has varied a lot until the 1960s when they were finally given the right to vote in federal elections uniformly. Compulsory and universal voting is a conscious decision of the parliament, not the constitution. So the parliament can gradually erode your democratic rights by putting in more and more restrictions for who qualifies. So if almost no one can vote and elections are rigged, it's then either up to a violent revolution to overthrow the fascists or for a foreign power like our close ally, the USA to come in and install some democracy through the power of having more guns than us. So all it will take is a quick phone call to the White House to inform the president that Australia is under the reign of a fascist and also a quick reminder that Australia has plenty of mineral resources and oil reserves. And then the US will fly in and bomb us back in de into democratic normalcy in no time. Just like how the US did with the Middle East. And we all know 
There is absolutely no problem with that, and I definitely don't need to keep talking for another half an hour to unpack all the ramifications of US foreign intervention. Yep. Nothing to unpack there. Don't need to talk about that. That, that is, of course, um, unless the fascist dictator of Australia gets along really well with the US president and the president decides to just sing their praises like how Trump constantly praises dictators like Putin or Kim Jong-un and figures, eh, the Australians have a strong leader, I admire that, that's fine, and then does nothing. I guess we just wait until uh, the government dies and less violent people hold government positions um, and then there's a bunch of intergovernmental conflict and there's just economic decline and then just eventually this leads to the dissolution of the regime. Like the USSR in the 90s. Yay! Just like every pot plant I've ever had, even fascists die. Everything dies one day. One day. And on that cheery note, thank you so much for watching. There you have it. If you'd like to subscribe and comment down below what you would like to learn about next out of your own personal liberty without a gun to your back, I would appreciate that. There's also a Patreon where you can support free education for everyone. And also a link to the script in the description where you can find all the citations I made to make this video so you can use them in assignments. Thank you so much for watching. I will see you next time.